In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to build the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thoughts to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of their Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Sherebabal, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work in the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the year of King Darius. Thanks, Nigel, for reading that. If you've got a Bible uh, with you, um, it's a bit tricky, isn't it, when we can't give out Bibles at the door anymore. So do, if, you, if you're able, as you're coming, do, do bring a Bible with you on, on Sundays. But if you've got one with you, do keep it open as we, um, as we dive into this, this cracking little um, book in the Old Testament. Let me just mention as well something about the, the event later on with Tamar Pollard, the conversation we're going to have with her. Tamar's is a great story. It might be that you've invited someone to tune into it and they've said they, they, they can't do it. If that's the case, do watch it anyway. Um, I think it will do you good just to watch it. And also, if your friend, they might say to you later, uh, what was it like? And it would be great if you were able to say, really good, it's still online, why not have a look at it? But as we come to look at Haggai, let me lead us in a prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, thank you that you are a speaking God. Uh, and we, we pray that as we hear your word this evening, 
as we look at it and consider it together, you would, by your Spirit, speak to us in such a way that we are warm to the Lord Jesus, uh, to love and trust Him. And in, in, in these times where we still feel distanced as a church family in all sorts of ways, where we can't quite meet in the way we'd, uh, we wish we could, please would you continue, uh, as your word goes out, to, to build genuine Christian friendship and fellowship amongst us. And we ask it in your son's name. Amen. Um, now, a little while back, I came across an article in The Telegraph that began like this. I think it's going to pop up on the screen. Sailor runs aground after using Carsat nav. It's, it's one of those titles, headlines that catches you, doesn't it? Uh, and I think the Coast Guard said, it's the most ridiculous thing I ever saw. And you can imagine, perhaps, I, I don't know, the, the kind of pragmatic man making that kind of decision, maybe saying at home, look, look, love, we don't have the money for the so-called proper equipment, but don't worry, as we head out in the boat, I'll just get the sat-nav out of the car, we'll be fine. Turns out we weren't. Uh, you'll know, just like me, sometimes ideals can be naive, but also sometimes pragmatic decisions can be just, well, downright dangerous. And I tell you that because as we, as we dive into this uh, little book of Haggai that we're going to be spending four different weeks on, Straight away, we'll meet God's people who look as if they're in need of sensible pragmatism, and what they don't need is anything that looks like it might be just kind of naive ideals. But Haggai is going to say on the pragmatism front, you're dead wrong. Now, what's this book about? You, you may know it already well. You might not know it. If you don't know it, what's it about? Well, one of the things we'll see that Haggai is really good at is giving his dates, and he does that as, even as the book begins. Verse 1, he tells us that it was the second year of King Darius. So that puts the date around about 520 BC. And the Persian Empire is dominant in that part of the world. Now, if you know anything of Israel's history, well, at this stage, things have not gone very well for them. Uh, the, the kingdom that had started with great success under David is now... Well, it's now kind of little more than this shattered province uh, of Persia. And the promises that God had made in the past, that there would, be, well, there would be a king descended from David, that at the heart of life would be a temple right at the heart of the nation of Israel, a temple that would signify, be a sign of God's presence with his people and his plans and purposes for the world. And also that the nations would begin to come to Israel to share in something of God's blessing with them. But now it's all fallen apart. Israel's sin brought God's judgment and eventually exile. In Haggai, where we're at now, a remnant, a small group of the people have, have returned to the land and they're trying to rebuild. And you wonder, well, is there a, is there a king from David's line? Well, well, sort of, verse 1. There's this chap, Zerubbabel. You see his name there. You can... You'll spot his name in the, the genealogies of Jesus' family line if you, if you look into the New Testament as well. But, but he's really only a governor now in the Persian Empire for this part of their, their empire. And the nations coming to Israel for blessing, well, they've hardly got enough for themselves. That's verse 6. And see what you know, we're told about them. You, you planted much, but harvested little. And that's not just a, a little thing. It's not like 
and your back garden if your tomatoes didn't grow very much uh, this year. No, for them, that's devastating economically. It's an economic downturn because of that. And the temple, well, they started to rebuild, but, but it's been 16 years since then. 16 years ago, before, before Haggai speaks, they, they gave up on it. They stopped building. So how do you navigate? How do you navigate your way through those kind of things? How do you, how do you navigate through, through kind of disappointing restrictions on your life? And through financial struggles and difficulties? They're the kind of things that Haggai is going to speak to. And as soon as you hear that, you think, gosh, that would have relevance for us in our situation. Sounds like it would be something good for us to consider and, and maybe hear the answers that these people come up with. And at this stage, these people say the thing you do if you want to navigate your way through is be pragmatic. Get the sat-nav. And as they switch it on, you hear the directions that are being given in verse 2. Do you see those? Here's what these people say. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. It's a luxury we, we can't afford, taking on a big building project like that. But, but a high guy senses there's something wrong in what they're, they're thinking and saying. We'll come back to that in a moment. Now, how does this book work? So we're going to have four weeks on it. And you'll find that the book is split up, not just the way the chapters go. There's two chapters, but there's actually four messages that, that Haggai gives over, over four different months. And they kind of pivot. Uh, the, the messages pivot between kind of uh, present challenge to future encouragement. One and two, uh, three and four messages work that way. Uh, present challenge. Uh, future encouragement. And uh, I say that, let you know about that, because if you spot it, you'll you get a sense of the tone of this book. God is going to speak in such a way to correct his people. That's what he wants to do. He's going to correct them. They need a course change. But he knows how their minds will work. He knows they'll do the kind of, but what if? But what if we do this now? What's going to happen then? If I live like this now, won't that just make the future worse? So God, through Haggai, he kind of oscillates, oscillates between present challenge and future encouragement. Every big word of correction is going to be followed by an even bigger word of encouragement. Those of you maybe in Pathfinders or Grafted, in fact, all of us though, all of us, if you, if you ever think about wanting to be a kind of good Christian friend, you want to learn about being a Christian friend and how to go about it, well, there's things that we can learn, even hear from God about being a good Christian friend. Because there's times, isn't there? Christian friends together, there's times when we need to challenge one another. We need to say things that are a little bit tricky, a little bit challenging, and it's right that we do that. But it should always be done in the context of even bigger encouragements. Uh, there's times, isn't there, where we, where we sometimes even need to send a little email to someone, and it's a little bit challenging. You, you want to be, be even more careful with that. Things can be misread in emails. But if you have to do that, make sure that it comes in a context of, of even bigger encouragements. If you ever have to send challenging emails, make sure you're someone who sends emails that are, are really encouraging as well. Every, every big word of correction 
It's followed by an even bigger word of encouragement. So, so what's God getting at? As he speaks to these people, where is it? In, in verse 5, and a little bit further on, where he says, Give careful thought to your ways. Uh, three things we're going to think about briefly this evening. Uh, something that's hard to do. Something that's easy to do. And then a final thing that we must do. Here's the first thing that's hard to do. It's hard to spot when you're becoming self-centered. Uh, you think about that with these people. Are they self-centered? Uh, I mean, money's tight. Uh, life's a bit harder with all that's going on. And it's not as if they're saying not ever. They're just saying not now. You can imagine them saying to Haggai, look, Haggai, we'd, we'd, we'd love to build the temple. We want to build the temple. We're, we're going to build the temple, but we don't have the resources at the moment. We can't do it. It's just that in verse 4, after Haggai's visited, you can imagine him saying to them, look, I, I've heard all your reasons, and, and you're probably right. You're probably right. But as he, as he gets up to leave, he, he turns around and he says to them, just before he goes out the door, by the way, I love what you've done with the kitchen extension. Is that a double oven? And the wood effect on the walls is just, oh, oh it's not effect. Oh, it, it really is maple. Nice, pricey, and the game's up. And you see what he's done. The cat's out of the bag, if you like. Haggai's shown them that when things get tighter, it often turns out that it's God and not their kitchens that was the unnecessary luxury. And it wasn't that there were no resources to invest in God's work. It's just that they wanted to spend it all on themselves. That sounds horrible when you put it that way. Would we ever be the kind of people who just want to spend all our stuff on ourselves? It's, it sounds horrible when we say it like that. And it, look, it's not as if God's against us enjoying, enjoying stuff. I think we might hear this verse again in a couple of weeks. Paul in the New Testament writes and, and says, look, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God is no killjoy. It's not like he's, he's just saying you've got to give everything away. No, he expects us to use things. In the Old Testament, there's times when feasts are commanded. Get together, have food, celebrate, enjoy things. There's all sorts of things where God not only expects us, but commands us to enjoy things together. But part of Haggai's message at this point is, look, it's hard to spot when we're becoming self-centered and the way that sin often works in us is that, is that thoughtless, selfish indulgence will be presented as plausible, pragmatic planning. And part of the reason, part of the reason that it's hard to spot when you're becoming self-centered, I think flows from the next thing, the thing that's easy to do, and that's, well, it's easy to forget that, that everything is a gift from God. You've got a Bible there, just have a look at verse 10, let me... Uh, let me read that for us again. You see what, what God says through Haggai to them. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops, I called for a drought. Uh, what's that all about? Look, when our boys were much younger, there, 
Um, they're just about to be um, nine and 11. But when they were much younger, our, our breakfast routine, it, it wasn't very complicated, but we, we'd get down, me and the boys, we'd get the bowls on the table, the, the cereal would be, would be put out there and in the bowls, and then Daddy would get the raisin jar. Here it is, the, the actual raisin jar. And raisins would be opened up like that and offered to them. And then tiny little hands, tiny little hands would magically seem to become the size of industrial diggers as they'd shovel them in and scoop out a huge amount of raisins to, to put over their cereal. And on one occasion, one occasion where one of them seemed to have an almost obscene amount of raisins just about to be sprinkled out there, I said to, I said to this one, hey, could I have that one? Trying to moderate them in some way. Could, could I have that one? And they said, no. And I said, well, could I have that one? And they said, no, you can't have that one or 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 that one. They are all mine. I thought, wow, two and a half years old. That's some going. And I was thinking, come on, come on. I gave them to you. You've got loads. All I'm asking is that you share one with me. And if you really needed any more, I've got the jar. I could give you more any time. What do you do? What do you do, though, if, if that? I mean, that's just a bit of fun over breakfast, isn't it? That, that's very young children with raisins. But what if that were to become a fixed attitude in someone? We want our children. Children in our own families, nephews, nieces, those we know, think, children in our church family. We, we want them to recognize generosity. And we want them to respond generously. So if that were ever to become a fixed attitude, there could come a point if they became really selfish with raisins where, where dad could say, look, I'm going to close the lid of the raisin jar. Because self-centeredness, if it goes unchecked, it will ruin you. And you see what God's doing? So here's a people Here's the people who've, who've forgotten that everything they have really comes from God, is a gift from him. And when, when God says to them, Look, will you share, of all the things I've given, will you share a little bit about, of what I've given for, for my cause in the world to invest in that? They've said, no, it's mine. So God, if you like, has been, has been beginning to close the lid of the raisin jar. A generosity, it's hard to spot, isn't it? Uh, you think about it, it's, it's not always something that's easy to spot. You can think about, perhaps, maybe in terms of church and giving, you can think about the, the struggling single mum who gives five pounds a week, and then the, the company director who gives 50 pounds a week. And just on those facts, you, you, you know who's giving the most, but you kind of suspect who's perhaps being the more generous. And then you discover that that company director, he may be at the top of his profession, earning a huge salary, but he's also paying the mortgage for his brother who lost his job through depression. And you think, oh, I didn't know that, and that changes it again. It's hard to spot generosity, isn't it? You can't always tell it just from what you pick up might be being given. It's hard to spot because it's an attitude of the heart. i tell you where you will spot it in yourself, though. You'll spot it when, when God seems to ask for something from you. 
And in your head, you're either thinking something like this. What, what's the amount? What's the amount when I've given it? I know I've given enough. God will be off my back at that point. Or you're thinking just, how much could I give? The first is kind of thinking, how much of my stuff does God want? And the second is, look, without being foolish, without being ridiculous, without thinking, I've got to give it all away, without being foolish, how can I please God? With the things he's, he's given me, knowing that he wants me to enjoy things, but without being foolish, how can I please God with the things he's given? You come home tired from work one day, and all you want to do is flop down. And if you like, it's your time. It's your time. The, the last thing you want to do is, is have to talk to someone. You're tired at the end of the day. This is your time. You want to sit down, but there's a niggle at the back of your mind because you remember the Christian friend who's been having a tough time. You don't really want a long conversation. But then you think, no, I'm going to invest generously in God's cause for their life. And you pick up the phone before you do anything else and you give them a call and you say to them, I was just thinking about you. And I wondered, knowing what's been going on, I wondered how today had been. Did you make, did you make it through the day all right? Tell me how it's been. And then at the end of the conversation, you, you want to give them just a word of encouragement that keeps them trusting Jesus, assures them that he'll be with them. And you want to invest in God's cause for them. Now I think, as I'm thinking about Christchurch, I think there's, there's plenty examples of generous giving at Christchurch, and money, in time, and talents. There's all sorts of examples. That's what I think. But to be honest, you don't really want to know what I think. Who cares what I think? You want to know what God says. So have a look at verse 13. You've got your Bibles there. Have a look at verse 13 to, to what God says to people who begin to respond in this way to him. God says, I am with you. And not because they've somehow bought God's favor. It's not like that. It's not, it's not as if they've bought God's favor, that they've paid enough, contributed enough, so they've, they've merited the kind of premium version of, uh, of life with God. No, God's not for sale. No, it's because it's the way relationship with God works. God is generously committed to his cause for the world in Jesus. He is 100% on this building project all the time. And he wants his people to be there with him. And if you know him, if you call yourself a Christian in some way, if you've, if you've been warmed in some way by what the Lord Jesus has done for you, if you find yourself ever thinking the way many people in the Bible seem to do, why would you choose me? Why would you be kind to me in this way, knowing that I don't deserve it? Why would you have, have chosen me and picked me and given me all of this? Why would your son come and die on a cross for me? If you've been warmed by that, by his generosity towards you in Christ, and you begin to feel yourself wanting to say, Lord, I, I want to join in with this. I want to be generous in some way, the way you've been generous with me. I want to join with your generous cause you'll find you're with him. Because that's where he is. And I think Haggai's message would be, he won't be slow in letting you know he's with 
you. I don't know if you've maybe even found that this past week. Maybe you've been going out of your way. Maybe you have been generously, in light of what the Lord's done, trying to help someone. Maybe it's been hard work. Maybe it feels like you've been generous and it's been difficult. And you wonder, does it count for anything? Is it worth doing it? And then you come to church on this Sunday and you hear from the Lord through the prophet Haggai, I'm with you. I'm with you. Be good if that was always true for us as a church family. Sense of the Lord's presence with us. But look, if it's, if it's hard to spot when we're becoming self-centered and it's easy to forget everything is a gift from God, here's a final must-do. And it's this, we, we must let God's word direct us towards his cause. Now, you might not pick this up, but Haggai, and the things he says in this opening chapter, he's, he's actually been paraphrasing a big section from the Old Testament. When, when he says to them in verse 5, give careful thought to your ways. You planted much, but harvested little. And down in verse 11, I've called for a drought. He, he's saying, look, think about this. Think about all the things that have been going on. Think about it. And have you heard about anything like this before? Do you remember reading anything like this in the Bible? Because they're, they're meant to think back to Deuteronomy 28, where God tells his people, look, if you begin to drift from me, look out for these consequences. I'll, I'll begin to close the, the lid of the raisin jar. Haggai's saying, look, we're, we're not great at spotting when we drift. But God's word really is an accurate sat-nav. Reminded me of a, of a guy I knew. I remember him telling me he'd been very excited. He'd been thinking for quite a while about getting himself a new iPad. Thinking quite a lot about it, looking at it on the internet, all the different versions he could get, what would be the best one, talking to his friends, talking about it at home. And then one day his wife said to him, have you stopped reading your Bible recently? It's an odd question to ask. He's slightly taken aback. And he said, why did you say that? And she said, well, we've been married for some time. And I've got to know you a bit over those times. And I've just noticed that when you spend less time listening to God, you often spend more time wanting stuff for yourself. You become less content. A bit more selfish. I remember thinking as he told me that, who needs that kind of feedback at home? That's outrageous. And then I thought a bit more and thought, I suspect actually I do. I suspect I need that kind of feedback at home and from friends when they hear the things I talk about a little bit too much and notice the things I don't seem to talk about very much. I wonder if Haggai was here in person today. I wonder if the thing he might say to us is, look, how are you handling contentment? How are you handling contentment at the moment? How are you handling the desire for stuff, for things, things you want? How are you handling giving to God's work? Are you listening to what God says? Give careful thought to your ways. We're going to be thinking about this in our small groups this week. Be good to encourage one another as we think this through. If you're not in a small group, be a good time to, to join one. Try and join one. 
And one final thing as we, as we draw this to a close. This temple that God's wanting them to build, building this temple, you, you understand that the building would be te- different to a church building. Some things would be similar. You, you go into the temple, there'd be songs, there'd be prayers, but it'd be different because there'd also be an altar there. And if you saw the altar, often on it, you'd see a lamb, a lamb that had been slain for your sin, and you'd be, you'd be reminded of how generous God had been for you. It was its death, your life, its cost, your gain, its poverty, your riches. And all provided by God. And you see what God's up to. Because it was all about his, his cause in the world, his, his building project. The, the temple pictured it, if you like. It was for God's honor. This is what he's like. He is serious about sin. He will not turn a blind eye to it. A price needs to be paid But he's also making a home. He's also wanting to make a home that people can come into through forgiveness. Someone else will pay the price for them and they can be adopted into his family. That's his cause in the world. And when he's saying to the people, I want you to build the temple. I want this to be here. This this picture of the heart of life about what my cause in the world is going to be for. For my honor and for your good. And if one day you, you want a perfect home to live in, if one day we want a perfect home to live in, then we need to keep God's grand design at the center of life. A temple, of course. We, uh, we don't have a temple like that. We don't need a temple like that because that temple points towards the Lord Jesus, the real lamb that was slain for your sin and for mine. God's generous gift to the world. And when he says, when he says, will you use, all of us as a church family together and you as a Christian on, you know, will, will you use some of the things I've given? Will you use some of the things I've given to invest in my cause in the world? Will you use some of the things I've given you, your Wednesday evenings, once a month? Come and pray with others from the church family for my cause in the world that others might find out about my graciousness and saving plan in Jesus. Would, would you use your home sometimes to invite someone around for a meal, for conversation? You might get to talk to them about my son or, or, or you might get to encourage them as a Christian. Would you use, those of you who are still going to school or, or college, would, would you use your walk to school even that is a gift from God. Would you use it, not just to catch up with your friends, but maybe sometimes would you use it to chat to that other person who may just love an invite to Grafted, Tuesday Central or something else. And I think Haggai would say, look, when, when God asks us those things, we'll, we'll always find a reason to say, you know, I don't think it's the right time. It's not the right Wednesday. It's not the right morning to, to talk to that person. It's a bit wet. It's not, it's not the right time. But Haggai would say we need to pray that, that God, by his spirit, as we hear his word, would stir us up to say, yes. Yes, Lord, I, I do want to invest some of what you've given in your generous cause for the world.
But why don't we pray for a moment? Let me give you just a moment where you are. Uh, there might be something you want to thank the Lord for or ask for his help with. Let me just give you a moment to do that. And then I'll lead us in a prayer before we move on. So just take a moment. Let me lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word um, tonight. Thank you for the way you speak to us. Uh, And Lord, we we feel it. uh, Your word often unsettles us. And not because you, you come before us with harsh words, stern rebukes, but more often than not, you come before us presenting your great, gracious generosity in the Lord Jesus. And it unsettles us because it exposes our own poverty and our own lack of generosity. You come before us with with words that show us what you've given and what you continue to give and you kindly draw us after you uh, to come and live your way by your Spirit. I thank you for that. And if we're unsettled, please, would you stir us up and we ask for your help that we would walk closely with you and invest in your great cause and for the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in a moment, when I sit down, the musicians are going to come back to the front. We're going to stand to praise God.